1: Talk is about to begin.
2: Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to the Friday Buckeye Talk. Another Mount Buckmore ahead. Douglas Maurice, Stephen Means, Nathan Baird. We did quarterbacks last week, running backs this week, guys. Nathan, I think we figured out what this is. We worked it out. It's not that complicated. It's faces, mountains, and men. And Right. We got it. We all know what the vibe is now. And I think most of the people listening to this listen to maybe last week's Mount Buckmore. But we know what we're trying to vote on here.
1: Yeah, I think it's it's there's there's a, an, a part of it that is just, you know, this the statistical stuff that you can't deny. And then there's a part of it that is a, a presence and an essence and, and, and how and guys who sort of def, help define an era of football. And I thought this one was really interesting because there were three guys that I thought were no brainers and then one that I really had to think about.
0: I hated coming up with my last one.
2: I hated it so much. It was a very straight, strenuous activity to do. Yeah, it was definitely. Yes, I think I think probably it's no surprise. Like the people listening to this, I would imagine a lot of people thought of it the same way, but I think it'll even be an interesting discussion around some of the people that we think are no brainers. And so let me lay out something here. Again, this is Mount Buckmore. We're picking the four. And Nathan, you used the word. I don't think we maybe said that word on the last podcast because I'm bad at thinking up words sometimes. Essence is such a good word, right? That that covers a lot of it too, that it's, it's, you know, it's it's the accomplishment and the feeling it's it's both mixed together, however you want to mix them together. But we're picking in Ohio State history at a particular position, the four guys you would want to see their faces on a mountain to represent that position. Last week on quarterbacks, we wound up with six different guys that got votes for the four spots. I'll be curious how this goes. And, and, and I'm we're setting some uh, some ground rules here for this that that only applies to this position because it is so complicated. We are acknowledging a uh, older version of the mountain that was built. Let's say if you built the mountain like in 1960, right? They were so excited about guys who had run the ball successfully in Ohio State history. They built one mountain. And on that mountain, they put Chick Harley, basically the, the man who invented Ohio State football. And then they put on Ohio State's first three Heisman Trophy winners. Les Horvath- Vic Janowitz and Hop Cassidy, and they were all guys who ran the ball. Were they all running backs the way we, I mean, that's not what we're here to do, right? They were accomplished football players at an incredibly high level. It was a different game back then. They ran it. Some of them also kind of threw it sometimes in my original text to the texters asking them to vote. I included Howard Hop Cassidy as an option. Because I draw the line for modern Ohio State football at the beginning of Woody. And so he won the Heisman Trophy in 1950, but then he played – no, no, no. He won the Heisman Trophy – I had this backwards. He won the Heisman Trophy in 1955 for Woody, right? So to me, it's like, well, that means he's modern day, right? Like he's a modern Ohio State football player because Woody is modern Ohio State football, But it's still just like such a weird comparison to try to compare like Maurice Claret to Hop Cassidy that there's just no point to it. So our texters did vote on that. And I will tell you that acknowledging the Heisman and Nathan, this is where it got complicated. It's like a Heisman's a Heisman. So in our original voting, Hop Cassidy finished fourth. He would have been the fourth guy on this mountain. But then it was like, well, then why didn't I put in Vic Janowitz on that list who only played five years ahead of Hop Cassidy is because Vic Janowitz won his Heisman the last year before Woody got here. Right. So that's, was my dividing line, but like that makes sense in my own head. It's, it doesn't really make sense in terms of eras. So after the fact, I said, we're just giving those guys a mountain, Nathan, because it's three Heisman winners and Chick Harley was like the most important guy. If they had a Heisman back, then he would have won it. And it's just not fun. We're not educated enough to try to have a battle about, you know, Ezekiel Elliott compared to Les Horvath. It's like, what are we doing? They already built a mountain. And then Ohio State had so many good running backs after they built that first mountain in 1960 that we had to build another mountain. Is that Does that make sense or is that a cop-out by me to try to do it that way?
1: No, I think it makes sense. And I think it's going to be a more interesting discussion too, really, to try to compare the guys from the modern era Without, if you get into again, like you're saying, Horvath versus Beanie Wells or whatever things, we start to get in the weeds a little bit. I think by by putting it, splitting it in eras, I think we have a more interesting conversation. And also, I, I think it's as far as like where you draw that line. To me, it's like, do you imagine these guys in black and white, or do you imagine them in color?
2: Ooh, that is not a bad way to say it.
1: And that's kind of how I think that's when, when I looked at the list you came up with, I'm like, Oh, well, like these are the black and white guys. And these are the guys you could have watched on TV in color. They're just the founding fathers.
2: Yeah. No football. That that's it. it, And it's just the game. We understand it It was just, it was just such a different time, but yet at some other positions, I think you can do it a little bit. Right. But it's just Uh so different what they asked of guys in the backfield back then. So that's how we're doing it. And I will say for running back, I didn't go as deep with the candidates because there were some guys that like probably deserved to be on a voting list who I just kind of knew. I mean, they, they just were not going to be in the top four in the end. And I, and I don't want to make these surveys feel like homework to our tech subscribers. If you want to be able to get these surveys, sign up right now. We're still doing more of them. 614-350-3315. And you can be part of it. So, like, I didn't put on Jim Otis, who was, like, the workhorse back, um, came in one year ahead of the Super Softs, was part of the 1967 class, workhorse back in that era, was Ohio State's all-time leading rusher when he left at that time, and was, like, a really good player, and is in the book, by the way, which comes out September 14th. But, like, I just just didn't really think he was going to make the top four. Maybe he was a candidate for seventh, right? But, like, just with... Our audience and that kind of thing, I just didn't include every single person that you could vote for in the vote. So I did include Hop Cassidy. So we're kind of taking him out. I only had besides him, seven other guys in this vote, Maurice Claret, JK Dobbins, Ezekiel Elliott, Keith Byers, Archie Griffin, Eddie George, Beanie Wills. Those are the seven guys who are kind of in the running for these four spots. And again, like Tim Spencer was a really good back at Ohio State and then was a coach at Ohio State. And I, and I think is in the top five in Ohio State history in rushing yards. He's fifth. I just, I just didn't really think that Tim Spencer was really going to make the top four. So I didn't want to have people spend a lot of time having to think, well, is he sixth or is he ninth or whatever? So I didn't include him. I didn't include Carlos Hyde who is 10th in Ohio state history in rushing yards, but is eighth among running backs because he's really good. But again, it's just kind of a, not quite that level. I didn't include Antonio Pittman, who was the lead back for the undefeated team that went to the national title game undefeated in 2006. You know, I didn't include Raymond Harris. I didn't include, there's just some guys like that. I didn't include Pete Johnson who was like the touchdown maker with Archie Griffin. And if Archie hadn't been here, you know, might've been a Heisman candidate on his own. So Nathan, should I, have, should I have expanded the pool, or was this was it? Did it make sense to maybe keep it tight to this group of seven slash eight that I put out there?
1: You know, the people who want to make a case for those other guys can do it through the text and stuff, and maybe we'll get to that later on. Maybe you have some examples of that, but I think it makes sense to, to coalesce this around the, the main candidates. You know what I mean? Like, um, if, if you're going to make a, a like full throated. Um, argument for pete johnson I'll, I'll hear it but i think that's it's going to be difficult to really put him in a top four
0: even if it's more important to do that at running back maybe than any other position as we're going through those because there's a clear tier of what we're talking about here especially when you're talking about a situation where there's probably two or three guys who are locks to make the Mount Rushmore anyway. So you might as well start tearing it as you're basically trying to figure out who your last person is going to be on the mountain.
2: Yeah. It's basically, I think for the running backs, it was like a tier of shoe ins and then a tier of everybody who's like legitimately fighting mm-hmm. for the last spot. And Um, There are some people who I left off who probably would have gotten a couple votes, right? I'm not saying they would have gotten 0% or whatever if you would have put them in for top four. I'm not saying some people want to rank them in the top four, but I just didn't think they had an actual chance to make the top four. So that's why we're boiling this down. I'm going to do it a little bit differently because I want to talk about some of these guys sort of in a specific order. So let's get to the obvious one. Again, if you guys want to vote, we are in the midst of the defensive end, Mount Buckmore voting at the moment, which, again, is pretty interesting. It's pretty interesting, and we'll do that soon on a pod. If you want to be part of it, 614-350-3315. Nathan, Archie Griffin, if you did this for college football, any position, any team, four guys in the history of college football, maybe if you did one of coaches and one of players, I mean, I think Archie makes it in the history of college football just as, obviously, the only two-time Heisman winner, a defining player sort of in this moment in the seventies when the game is like, it's still a, a local game. You're tied to bowls, but yet you're just starting to get to the point where, you know, you can teams are go, you know, more than one team come from a conference is starting to be able to go to some bowls. It's starting to become more of a national game. And Archie is the face of that. I didn't sit down and say, Oh, who would be if you did four guys all time, who would it be? Would it be, You know, Archie Griffin, Red Grange, Vince Young, and Tim Tebow, whatever. I'm not doing that. But I think he might be. So, like, of course, Nathan, Archie Griffin is first on this mountain. And maybe at the end we'll do this. Maybe we will. Now we'll finish it up with this at some point. Maybe bye week we'll do this. The all-time Ohio State, just four people associated with Ohio State football, right? Any position, coach and player, administrator, whatever – I think Archie makes that. So Nathan, Archie Griffin, he's good and he's famous.
1: I was thinking this morning about what a Heisman Trophy season would have to look like. What, how, whether a Heisman Trophy winner would ever be left off a list like this at Ohio State? You know what I mean? Like, I think a Heisman almost just catapults you directly onto this. I don't know. I don't really know what that would look like to not get you on there. And then, and then that led me into a discussion with myself, I suppose, about. Um, whether this is ever going to happen again. Like, I don't know that there's ever going to be a two-time Heisman winner again. I mean, to have it have not ever happened in the first place is is still pretty fascinating. But now when you look at the way college football is structured, guys don't stay as long. And I think we've also talked about the fact that when you win early, when you have great success early, now you're compared to yourself. It makes it that Mm -hmm. much harder. That's almost the most surprising thing about Archie Griffin, because he was obviously a great player. But when you come out and win a Heisman trophy, I think now then you have to come out and almost be better than you otherwise would have had to been to win a Heisman trophy that second year. And he went and did it. Like that's, there's nothing more impressive than that.
0: How much does the internet and social media maybe play a, a, a impact into that? Because Archie wasn't in your face every Saturday. It wasn't every time he maybe had a bad run or fumbled or whatnot. It wasn't on social media two seconds later while with, you know, Johnny Menzel, obviously that was a crazy or Lamar Jackson, where, yes, you're playing better, but now everybody's eyes are on you every single moment of every single day. And so it's just an extra added element. While with Archie Griffin, maybe it was a little easier to just be like, man, he's just so much better than he was the year before that. So I wonder if Archie would have had those Heisman-level seasons in 2017, would he still
2: have two Heismans, or would he just have the one? I do think, like, so – to your point, as you guys are saying, guys actually do come back. I mean, there have been pl- plenty of guys recently, Lamar Jackson first and foremost, who won it and then was a finalist the next year. But, yeah, the main competition is against yourself in a world where – in the world that we understand. Archie actually wasn't quite as good, at least statistically, in year two. I mean, in his senior year, in the second Heisman year, he was in the first Heisman year, 1974 as a junior – he runs for 1,695 yards in 12 games, 6.6 yards per carry, 12 touchdowns. As a senior, he runs for 1,450 yards, so 245 yards fewer. His yards per carry goes from 6.6 to 5.5. He only scores four touchdowns rushing the ball, four touchdowns overall compared to 12 because Pete Johnson's like the goal line back and taking a lot of those carries. So like his stats do go down right? A, a little bit, mm-hmm. but he still is the overwhelming winner. His second Heisman, it's six running backs are the first six guys. I love this era of football. Archie Griffin wins it with 454 first place votes and 1800 total points. Exactly. Chuck Muncie of Cal, 145 first place votes, seven hundred and 30 points. So Archie doubles up second place. And Archie is, I mean, it's just not even close. Ricky Bell of USC, really good. Third, Tony Dorsett, who then wins it the next year, finishes fourth as a junior, but only gets 66 first place votes compared to 454 for Archie. So, you know, like the stats that go down, but like kind of what you're saying, Stephen, like you think in this world, so and the year before as a junior, Archie Griffin... 1,920 points, Anthony Davis of USC second, Mm -hmm. 819. So again, doubled up second place as a junior, 483 first place votes, Anthony Davis, 120 first place votes. He would have had to deal a little more with the backlash, Stephen, in the modern age. and, Mm -hmm. And who knows? Now, it would have taken a great candidate to rise up, right? But maybe people would have moved to Tony Dorsett a little earlier as the new guy on the block the way people think about college football now, Stephen.
0: Yeah, and that's just the point. It's just now it's a college football covering sports in general is a 365-day, is a 24-hour job. When back then it was during the season and you just kind of, you know, it's just different now. We look for every reason in the world to say somebody is not that good after we spend years building them up, which is the fun part of this job.
1: Yeah, I don't know if he would have done this. I don't know if in the modern era that he would have repeated because I think it's a more sophisticated um, electorate, even though I'm still critical of the Heisman electorate, I think it has grown in sophistication a little bit over the years, but it's also just a more sophisticated game. Um, the, the You know, the, the way that we think of the Heisman Trophy has changed.
0: But also, I'm obviously not the greatest historian in the world, but how often did someone who was not even on the Heisman radar at all just pop up and just win the award? Because that's been a trend lately, whether it's Burrow, uh, Lamar Jackson, uh Tim Tebow to an extent back then, it, it felt like more often than not the guys who were expected to win it or be in the race were the guys who were in it in the race at the end of the season. While now it's like you can be a guy who's a seventh round draft pick projected and then you end up winning the Heisman Trophy.
2: I mean, I don't even know how much of a radar there was back then. It was like your yeah. local yeah. beat writer the day before the season started did a list of like oh, 10 players to watch and call you yeah. know, I, I don't, right. I, I don't know. I will say in 1975, the year Archie won his second, again, he ran in 12 games for 1,450 yards. Tony Dorsett at Pitt ran for 1,686 yards. Archie Griffin, 5.5-yard average uh, as a senior in 1975. Tony Dorsett as a junior in 1975, 6.6-yard average. Tony Dorsett, 13 rushing touchdowns plus three receiving, so 16 total, total touchdowns. Archie Griffin, four total touchdowns. So Tony Dorsett, like, had better stats across the board. Um, Pitt was in Ohio State. Now, Pitt wins the national championship the next year, and Tony Dorsett runs for more than 2,000 yards and, like, is clearly the guy, right? So I'm not saying Archie doesn't deserve it, but I'm saying the point we are making here is, Nathan, as you said off the very top, it would be a different situation now because the backlash is real, and it would have been easier for someone like Tony Dorsett to kind of pop on the scene and maybe get more attention as the new guy with better stats, right? Three hours away in Pittsburgh. And it just might've been a different vote again. Hey, how they, had you listened to that Mount Buckmore running back thing? Yeah. Yeah. They start off by arguing how Archie didn't deserve his second Heisman. Oh, cool. Let's make sure I listen to that one. That is not what we're doing. We're trying to put some things in context. And the other thing here is Archie's on this, no matter what, I mean, like, Archie's unbelievable. He's the all-time leading rusher. When you're talking about a thing like Mount Buckmore, he has been an ambassador for Ohio State, both football and the university as a whole. He was the chair of the alumni association forever, president of the alumni association. He has been like the face of the university for like 30 years. Like he is a tremendous ambassador. As a player, he's from Columbus. Like he's an underdog story a little bit of getting recruited to Ohio State, and then he. And then he was like Woody's like last great player. Right. I mean, like he's like he's the guy. Archie is Ohio State football. So whether he would have won one or two, he's at the top of this list for every reason. But it's interesting to think about, to your point, Nathan, what the next Archie Griffin faces and trying to match what Archie did when it comes to two Heisman's.
1: Like Who is more Buckeye than Archie Griffin?
2: Woody. Like what That's would, it. It's what only it like, yeah, only Woody. I'm trying to think what guy. it
1: would take to be more Buckeye than Archer Griffin. It would have to be like if a quarterback in the modern era grew up and went to Olentangy Orange or whatever. And then or some Columbus City School and then came to Ohio State and won a Heisman Trophy. Like that It'd would have to
2: be weird. like like if Ryan Day coaches at Ohio State until he's 75 Coach and and RJ Day yeah. is Ohio State starting quarterback in six years and wins the Heisman. And then sticks around and then, like, is his dad's offensive coordinator. And then is the head coach one day. And and then takes over for Ryan. It's not. That's what it is. The Ohio State, what they
0: didn't tell you is Ohio State turning into the mob and they keep it all in the family. That's why they keep hiring from
2: within. Do you just compare Ohio State to the mob? (laughs) That was Steven. I don't even know what that was, but could we get, if, if anybody from Ohio state's listening, could we get RJ on Buckeye talk? That'd be fair. Hey, RJ, do you think here's the scenario for you? You're in middle school. <laughs> He's a good kid. I, I, again, that, that to me, I, we, we all saw it, but I, uh, I mean, the fans listening here saw it. You guys weren't here yet, but like um, Ryan gets here and it's his first year. And for one of the news conferences, RJ day comes out with JT Barrett after a game. And it's like, RJ is like JT's guide. It's like, here's Ryan day. He just got to Ohio state. He doesn't really know much about Ohio state. He didn't grow up in Ohio. And then like, his son is like friends with the starting quarterback, because that's the kind of guy that JT Barrett is. And like, that's it's like your family gets involved. And I think that kind of thing is when Ryan day um, doesn't have the roots from his childhood The roots, a lot of Ryan Day's roots in Ohio State are like his family's roots. It's like his family, his kids, his all three of his kids have a situation now where Ohio State is part of their lives as an early age, and the way it wasn't for Ryan. But I think Ryan then absorbs that and is like, "Man, this is what Ohio State is giving my family." And now I know RJ. I mean, he's. I think he's a quarterback, and it's like He,
0: he threw at multiple camps this summer, like actually was competing and throwing, not just like out there, like he's a four-year-old running around the like, hill. He was out there getting coached up and there were some points when Ryan Day was coaching him up and it was pretty cool to look at. It's like, oh, father-son moment, but your father yeah. is also
2: probably the best quarterback coach in college football. So like RJ Day is going to, when he grows up and whatever he does in his life, he's going to tell stories about how Ohio State football was a fundamental part of his childhood. Yeah. And so that's why Ryan Day feels like I got to beat Michigan. Right. That influences like why he why he almost has tears in his eyes the first time he beats Ohio State as a head coach, because he understands that connection now through that. So, excuse me, Nathan, in the end, Archie is obvious. But in the end, it's going to be hard for almost anybody in college football to match Archie in this regard because of the way things operate now. I mean, we've talked before
1: about the Heisman being this sort of. Snapshot, and it's about being Heismany more than it's about being the best player in some ways. And when you do it over two years, you just it it it, it does elevate you. I mean, it does grant you a, a status that I don't think anyone c- can tell. I think mean, you, would, I don't know how you could argue that he shouldn't be on, like you were like you started this conversation by saying, the uh, Mount Rushmore for all of college football, like somebody who did that in back to back years, regardless of what you want to say about whether they deserved it in either one of those years. The fact that they won it to do it for back-to-back years, like Archie Griffin is just synonymous. Like, I think people think if you define college football for a decade, I think people think of 1970s mm-hmm. football as Archie Griffin.
2: Yes. Mm-hmm. And, and comes in an era where freshmen now are allowed to play in their first year, which like, you know, was not true. Archie was the first year. So 1972, 867 rushing yards as a freshman, 1,577 as a sophomore, 1695 as a junior, 1450 as a senior. And again, like incredibly successful every year. They should have won multiple national titles with Archie there and they didn't, but they were, they were like the dominant force in college football.
1: Is that an unbreakable record? 5589 as Ohio State's all-time leading rusher?
2: Probably. No, because here, let me, let me do it real quick. Like, so he stuck around four years. Right. So that's the thing. That's part of what might make it. That's why I said. Probably 1863 average for three years. That's a lot, man.
0: A certain somebody that we'll get into later in this podcast would have broken it. Had he come back for his fourth year?
2: Well, so the the issue is like if you're so good, if you're good enough, it's almost like you need to be a guy who kind of is a. Like a, the number two back, maybe for two years, right? And builds up like oh, I ran for seven hundred yards. I ran for seven hundred yards, and then I had two giant, like mm-hmm. two thousand yard seasons, right? And actually, that still wouldn't get you there. That's crazy.
1: That'd be fifty four. You seven you seven two and two, two is not there. I,
0: you would have to be have a Travis ATM mindset where you probably could have gone after your junior year, but you just wanted to come back because you wanted to work on yeah. just one skill.
2: I don't think it's impossible, but it's very difficult. And we can discuss that more when we get into another guy on this list. But the next guy I want to go to first, we'll do right after this on Buckeye Talk. All right, let's get into the guy that that and I'll tell you by the way, I don't I can't imagine that anybody like didn't vote Archie. Again, this is uh when we do the the surveys this way for the tech subscribers, we it's not vote for one it's ranked them in order so it was ranked these eight people in order archie was first at 1.24 so that means his average ranking by people was point two. so that if you know if every single person put archie first he'd be 1.00 so he wasn't that there were people who did not put archie first on this list who might have put some other people but i can't imagine not putting him in the top four Second, and pretty clearly second, is Eddie George, 2.39. Eddie George, the Heisman, Stephen, I mean, it's just like he he won the Heisman at running back. And then that, again, like he has to be on, right? Like, is that in addition to his greatness, the Heisman seals the deal that it's a no-brainer, is it not? Heisman, um, he's just a, I mean, the, the statistics
0: I think there might be he might be the Justin Fields of the running backs where he pound for pound just might be the best running back where you can throw him in any area and he's just dominant. And that's also a point for Eddie George. So, yeah, this is a clear no
2: brainer that he should be second on this. That does matter, I think, when, again, we're talking about the feeling that you get from it. Archie did not go on to be uh, a, a multiple time but... pro Bowl running back in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Eddie backed up everything he did in college with an unbelievable NFL career. And then also Eddie went on to like, he's an entrepreneur. He's on Broadway. Now he's the head coach at Tennessee state. Like his post football career is as interesting and as accomplished and as varied as almost any football player you can come across. And he is devastatingly handsome. So all that, I mean, that guy's face, if I, I'm going to go downstairs and tell my wife that we put Eddie George's face on a mountain, she's going to be like, let's get in the car. I want to go see it. Can we get to the mountain right now? Can we pay to have someone? I'm going to have a mountain in my backyard with Eddie George's face chiseled on it. Once my wife hears this idea, Nathan, that like factors in, does it not like again, essence, presence, Like Eddie George from, and again, he's in the book, from high school kid in Philadelphia, his mom who just passed away, actually. um, Donna George was an amazing woman. I'm not going to pretend I was her best friend. I talked to her for the book, for the Eddie George chapter that's coming out uh, on September 14th. She's a, a single mom in Philadelphia. She sees her son in her mind getting off track. And she's like, that's not how we're doing this. And she sends him to Fork Union Military Academy in Virginia and changes his life. And at Fork Union, the thing that Fork Union has become now is like this prep school that's like an in between step between high school and college for a lot of people. That's not what Eddie went to do. Eddie went there for high school for two years, like get in line, march in a row, be a cadet, and play football. And then, like, he was a, still like a late bloomer there and was kind of hunting around for offers comes to Ohio State, visits, says, I want a tree, decides to come to Ohio State, like is not great his first two years, has a fumbling issue, and then his last two years at Ohio State are as good as you could ask for, 1,442 yards as a junior, 12 touchdowns, and then the Heisman year, unbelievable Heisman year. 1995 as a senior, 1,927 yards, 24 touchdowns, and then what he's been since, Nathan, I mean, this guy's got it all.
1: Yeah, I think charisma was maybe one of the other words that you could throw at him. Um, And it's one of and and just an enduring charisma, like you say, like um, in a different way than Archie Griffin, I guess, because it's not necessarily that direct association with Ohio State, with the alumni and everything else. But still, like you feel like Eddie George is still attached to this university i think he probably always will be attached to this football program he also was the one of the all the guys that we've talked about and will talk about that um in a weird way kind of seems presidential like that's almost like a word that you could just like the way he walks like i could just like i just have this picture in my mind of like eddie george like standing in a suit with a football and like thinking like oh that's like the
2: president's holding a football That's just a way to say he's handsome. It's okay. I'm very comfortable. No, but I know what you mean, right? I mean, he is just so like together. And then, and then that picture, we've all seen it. And it's been replicated a couple other times um, of him running away from the entire Notre Dame defense. And there's an Antonio Pittman picture that's like that. It's like the best, I think it's the best college football picture. It's when the photographer is in the end zone and the running back breaks a long run, towards the photographer and the skilled photographer is able to capture like the running back in the middle and all the hapless defenders in pursuit. And it makes you, it makes it feel like battle. You know what I mean? And that this guy just like vanquished 11 guys and now is, is running to win the battle. And Eddie, I mean, like with, like the way he looked in his shoulder pads, you know, like just like you you can have that picture in your head. So is Eddie, Steven, is Eddie as much of a no brainer as Archie in your mind? Yes. Like even not, the no brainer, even if the no brainer is number two spot, yes. It's, like not asking if he's as good as Archie, but it's like, hey, if right. we're doing a top four, are mm-hmm. they just absolutely, Safe. they are both in it and let's start the discussion at three, right?
0: They are relaxing. On Mount Rushmore trying to figure out who 's joining them, who is worthy to be the other two spots
2: and i I do kind of like it, Nathan, because they 're exactly twenty years apart like it's again it 's very kind of era specific right that that archie is is the representative of sort of the second like the the last great woody era as we covered, right lost in the Rose Bowl his last game at Ohio State but again there were national championships there for the taking that they didn't quite take that and then Archie is Archie is 90s football right i mean if you think i think if you think of the John Cooper era and there's a lot of great teams a lot of great players And I don't mean to snub anybody, but I I mean, I think it comes down to Orlando Pace and Eddie George, right? When you really think about sort of that era of Ohio State football and Eddie had the ball in his hand, so he was easy to think of. But it's like it's a nice thing that like 20 years after Archie, here comes not the only era to Archie, because there's a guy in between that we're going to talk about. But it's like, oh, that kind of feeling again of like a an Ohio State running back dominating college football.
1: Yeah, kind of going back to what I was saying before, like what would a Heisman Trophy winner have to look like to not make this list and I guess it would be someone who we look back and question whether or not they really checked all the boxes but Eddie George checks every possible box I mean the it's statistically overwhelming season I think that would be a Heisman contending season in any era mostly a Heisman winning Season no brainer in many eras, and then when you factor in all of the backstory stuff that you talked about, all of just uh, the way that he, you know, the NFL success that he then went on and had, the 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 career that he's put together after that. I mean, just everything stacks up that this guy um, is essential to what people think of when they think of Ohio State football.
2: Tight Heisman race for as good as he was as a junior, did not finish in the top ten. Rashan salam Colorado running back, won that. 95 Heisman race, Eddie George, 1,460 points. Second, Tommy Frazier, the Nebraska quarterback, 1,196 points. And then Danny Werfel from Florida, pretty close himself, 987 points in third. First place votes, Eddie George, 268, Tommy Frazier, 218, Danny Werfel, 185. Eddie George got almost as many second place votes as first place votes. He went 268 for first, 248 for second, 160 for third. So he had to run for almost 2000 yards to win that. Like that's a race. Like Tommy Frazier is like the captain of this amazing Nebraska offense that is winning national titles in this era. And, and Eddie overcame that, right? Like this, his, his absolute dominance as a player overcame that. So we all have Eddie on there. The texters have Eddie on there again, Archie 1.24, Eddie 2.39. So for ranking them in order like Eddie's almost as much a lock for second as Archie is a lock for first. Like a lot of people, no doubt about it. They're your top two. Let's go to the third guy. And I'm curious if we think this guy is as much of a lock as Archie and Eddie. And that is, of course, Ezekiel Elliott. He finishes third in our texter voting. He has 3.19. So again, he's he's as locked into third as the other two guys are locked into first and third. The fourth place vote, which again was a little bit screwed up by having Hop Cassidy in there, was five point oh seven. So then there's a drop. Like this is where uh, there's a it's it's really pretty tight for everybody else. Ezekiel Elliott clearly third for the Texters. Nathan, is he a was he a lock on your Mount Buckmore?
1: He was, yeah. I, I, and I think that anytime that you, I mean, you, his whole we talk about presence and we talk about being essential to Ohio state football history. And I feel like 85 yards through the heart of the South is essential to Ohio state football history. I, I don't know how it, it if, if you take him out of Ohio state history, how are we talking about Ohio state football as we stand here today? I mean, they may never beat Alabama. Maybe they don't even win make the playoffs that year. And, and just the, the way that his um, production um, helped propel this program forward to another level, I think, has to be recognized on Mount Buckmore.
0: Here's why he's a no-brainer: Wisconsin, twenty carries, two hundred and twenty yards, two touchdowns. Alabama, twenty carries, two hundred and thirty yards, two touchdowns. Oregon, thirty-six carries, two hundred and forty-six yards, and four touchdowns. And it's part of the reason there really couldn't be a conversation about Cardell making it when we did the quarterback one because that those what was that seventy-six carries.
2: Or why Ohio State won a national championship in 2014. So he does something here that we struggled with a little bit with the quarterbacks, because with the quarterbacks – the greatest individual players didn't win national titles. So we're trying to talk about, well, you know, Cardale got him over the top in the playoff. Should he be on? Well, JT was the regular season quarterback. Does that factor in? But he didn't win it in the playoff. What do you do with Craig Krenzel? Well, should Rex Kern be on for sure or not? Ezekiel Elliott is both sides of this. He is an unbelievable individual player who was absolutely, who is probably the best player on a national championship team. So I think there are some people, and not just for recency bias, Nathan, I think there are some people who we're asking, hey, is Zeke as the third guy a lock? I think there are some people who would say, what are you talking about? He's first. Like, no offense to two Heismans, no offense to what Eddie George did as a player and after football. I start with Ezekiel Elliott in some part because I saw it with my own eyes because it was so recent. But it looked dominating. Statistically, it was dominating. It was so important, and it got Ohio State over the top. And I think maybe, man, now I'm trying to think about this in a different way. Is he, how do we say this? Is he the best player on any Ohio State national championship team? Like, if you think about 2002, it's like, who's the best player in 2002? And I guess it's Maurice Claret. And I'm going to say something wrong because I didn't prepare for this, but it's like, all right, well, Maurice Claret, I mean, unbelievable, but is Zeke kind of better than him in that moment? Right. A and second then you year think, Zeke versus a freshman year Maurice Claret, probably. And you think about 68, it's like, all right, who's the best player in 68. It's like, I guess Jack Tatum, probably right. But this its the super softs that you mostly talk about, but like individually is, is Zeke more dominating than Jack Tatum. And now we're going to get back into the older titles. And again, we're not going to be able to talk about that in an educated manner. Nathan, I think it's possible. He's certainly under the discussion. But when you talk about the combination of individual greatness for a national championship team, Ezekiel Elliott might be number one in Ohio State history.
1: I think you can definitely argue that no one has ever arrived at his moment at a more opportune time. I mean, I, the... Because obviously, I mean, what if he if he had had that breakout of those 76 carries in weeks four through six that season and they beat Iowa and Michigan State and um, um, Maryland or whoever? um, Nobody cares. Um, It it, it gets it gets it's a footnote, but it's not what it is, which is this uh, like supreme example of an Ohio State player going out and just taking over college football for what, like six weeks? Like, I mean, he just, I mean, to just to just lift and it, to already, to take an, an already great team and then lift it and say, I'm taking us all the way. Um, nothing is more um, representative of what we're trying to do here.
0: I think this just might be in the early, we're early in the playoff era, obviously. We're only 10 years into this, but this might be the most impressive three game run of the playoff era. Oh, yeah. No, one, we by we, one individual right. person. So that alone is another point for well, why. Yeah, this is an easy check mark that he should be easily third here and maybe have a case to move up if that's how you feel. I don't feel that way. But
2: and then just very weird because did not finish in the top 10 in the Heisman voting in 2014 because he came on so late. Again, yeah. I keep I I say this all the time. It was the year of the Big Ten running back in 2014, and people were talking about David Cobb and Amir Abdullah and Jeremy Lankford and and Melvin Gordon and all these great running backs in the Big Ten. And I still have such a I have a terrible memory, but I have such a specific memory of Urban Meyer. I can feel myself sitting in the team room for the news conference just on a random middle of the season Tuesday or whatever. And someone asking Urban Meyer about that and him being like, well, I'll take our guy and it being like, "Okay, well, that's fine you can take Ezekiel Elliott, but like he's the sixth best running back in the big 10. And then by the end of the year, like, like you said, like in the next six weeks, he was Ezekiel Elliott and, and it, it didn't happen instantaneously. The Heisman voting's not, doesn't take into account the postseason, Right. So like that, you're not going to get it. So he didn't finish in the top 10. JT Barrett was fifth that year. And then the next year, I mean, unbelievable stats, but like Ohio state doesn't live up to its billing. It's sort of like, Ezekiel Elliott didn't in when it comes to Heisman voting and like all American voting, he didn't get the benefit of his greatness the first time around because it came late, but he then suffered like the backlash to his greatness. So he finished eighth in the Heisman voting in 2015 behind Derrick Henry, Christian McCaffrey, Deshaun Watson, Baker Mayfield, Keenan Reynolds, Leonard Fournette, Dalvin Cook. By the way, that is a stacked Heisman race. That's crazy. That is like in a world where sometimes the Heisman race is like 10 guys who suck in the NFL. That's like NFL stud, NFL stud, NFL stud, NFL stud, super engaging senior story of like a Navy guy that people love. Leonard Fournette just won a Super Bowl, even though he kind of flamed out in the NFL, but it was a number four pick. And then NFL stud. And then by the way, Ezekiel Elliott's also an NFL stud. So it's like, he only got, he got, five first place votes in the Heisman race that year. And his stats were awesome.
0: He had one game with less than a hundred yards. And that was the, obviously the Michigan state game where everything went down the hill, but (laughs) I'm looking at the game log. This is ridiculous.
1: I think here's almost the best case about why Ezekiel Elliott has to be on this list is because he has arguably been at any given year early in his career in the NFL, the best running back in the NFL. Like, you could make that case. Like, he mm-hmm. he's a that might be the best running back in the NFL this year, whatever year that is. Multiple years, you could make that argument. And it has nothing to do with why he belongs on Mount Buckmore. Like, you yes. could put him on there if, if he had never gone to the NFL. If he had just gotten to the end of his uh, career and said, like, "Nah, it, I'm going to go sell insurance, whatever, um, or something less noble like being a sports writer. Like, I'm going to go do that um, and just not gone to the NFL. It would have no bearing. Like, he would still, I think, be – Absolutely chiseled in stone here. And right now he
0: and Eddie George are the only people who have that. Right. With whoever we choose to be fourth here right now, because one guy might be too early and the other guy, we know what it is, but those two they're immortalized for two totally different reasons as Ohio state players. One for what they did during their time at Columbus. Then also they were both the best running back in the NFL at some point in their careers.
2: So we're not telling people anything they don't know. Just as a reminder. 2004. And again, it's funny. 2013 just did not, did not do much like was as a true freshman and this amazing number two recruiting class was did less as a freshman than, than Dontre Wilson did. So that when that's because Carlos Hyde was the bell cow and that's what they did. It was Braxton and Carlos. And that was the offense, but 2014, 273 carries 1,878 yards, 6.9 yard average, 18 touchdowns 2015, 289 carries, 1,821 yards, 6.3 average, 23 touchdowns. He did win the Sullivan award. He like the year he didn't finish in the top 10 in the Heisman. He won the Sullivan award, which is theoretically for the best amateur athlete in any sport in the whole country. And it's like, he's not one of the 10 best football players, but he is the best overall amateur athlete. It's a weird award. Like if you go look at the list, which is what I'm doing right now, it's like a bunch of not that famous people for the most part, because they're honoring, you know, the last, He won it in 14, and then since him, it's been, like, volleyball players. Kyle Snyder, the Ohio State wrestler, actually won it a couple years after Zeke. You know, Missy Franklin won it one year, great swimmer. Michael Phelps won it one year. Like, it's kind of a weird – Michelle Kwan won won it as a figure skater. Rulon Gardner, Olympic wrestler, but also, like, you know, Peyton Manning won it. Tim Tebow won it. J.J. Redick won it. So like Zeke won that. So it was like, they're kind of trying to, I think, acknowledge him after the fact of like, oh man, the Heisman kind of missed the timing on this. So I think we agree. So do we agree these top three, Nathan, you don't even think about it. Is that, is that right? That it's, it's a, it's an automatic check mark for these three.
1: When I sat down to make the list, you know, Archie obviously jumps immediately to mind. And then I started thinking like, well, how much am I going to have to like really massage these last three spots and 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 I didn't like when I when you think about Eddie George, when you think about Ezekiel Elliott, um, uh, to me, it was no question that they, they have to they have to get those first three spots.
0: I spent no time thinking about those three spots at all. I just put all of my energy into who's the fourth guy on this list. And then I'll put
2: Archie, Eddie and Ezekiel on when I'm done thinking about that. OK, all right. The fourth spot, this was complicated enough for the texters that after I did the initial vote. That included Hop Cassidy. And then I was like, that didn't make sense the way I divided that up. I sent out a revote. okay? So these top three guys were obvious. And then I said, okay, we've got them. We now have Keith Byers, J.K. Dobbins, Beanie Wells, and Maurice Claret, who in the initial voting, again, as I said, Hop Cassidy finished fourth. for the, So those other four guys were the bottom four in that voting, but I didn't want to just sort of let that stand. I wanted to run it back. So I said, okay, we're going to do this one more time. It's not a ranking. It is a straight vote. I'm going to give you those four once again. And I'm going to ask you to pick, pick one. Keith Byers, Maurice Claret, Beanie Wells, J.K. Dobbins. And that's for the fourth spot. So we will reveal that last. Steven. Who got your fourth spot?
0: Maurice Claret got my fourth spot. And I understand he's the biggest what if uh, this side of the 2000s for Ohio State football. But it kind of accomplished everything in that first year that you would want for a guy to accomplish. He didn't win the highs and obviously, but I mean, he won a national title. And he has the most defining play of that national title where he strips a guy, he strips a Miami's defender for the ball. So, so that Ohio state keeps possession of the ball and basically wins in the national title game. He was a thousand yard rusher as a, as a freshman, he lived up to all that five-star hype. Everything that happened since is what had happened, but in what was that? 14 games, he did everything you would have asked a Ohio state football player to do. And because of that, the allure of what he is. He was my guy there.
2: It is certainly a case. And I I talk about this uh, a lot when I think about things like the baseball hall of fame, like to me, if you help tell the story of something that I try to imagine it like, Hey, so for this, it's like, Hey, we're walking up to the mountain. And it's like, Hey, mom and dad, who are those guys? And you start going through and telling the stories of their faces and why they're up there. Like that's kind of what I'm thinking about too. And so the story that you would tell about Maurice Claret's face is a really good story. And it matters in the history of Ohio state. There's triumph and tragedy. It tells a larger story about college football, but yet like you're not faking it with the individual talent. You know, it's Mm -hmm. not only a story. There is a great deal of individual accomplishment and talent backing it up. And it's complicated. And, and I think you would get to the end of the story with your kid and your kid would be like, wow, I wonder what would have happened if he had played a second year. Yep. He sounds great though. And then it'd be like, Oh, I want to go back and watch that game. Mom and dad, can you show me that play when he stripped the ball back? What like? And and what's he like now? Oh, wow. You know, he's doing this with his life. That's really interesting. It is a very compelling case, Nathan. So, Nathan, before we get to your vote, like what do you think of the Maurice Claret case for this?
1: Well, again, I think it comes down to what endures and what, as you're saying it, what kind of helps define Ohio State football. Um, you can have greater, longer careers that don't necessarily stand out in our minds the way that a single season can. So then, then the circumstances that of why that single season is a single season have to come into the conversation too. Um, that it's where it gets complicated. This it's, it's a, it, this is the the difficult part of this particular exercise
0: he's also trestles running back in the way that Troy Smith is trestles quarterback
2: yes and and unlike the other guys in this discussion he won a national title Yep. J.K. Dobbins didn't win a national title Keith Byers didn't win a national title Beanie Wells didn't win a national title and as we've talked about like along the way that has to factor in Nathan right that's that's some part of the of the discussion here right
1: well, I think if he hadn't won a national title in his only season, then I don't know how you put him on this list. I think that's almost mm-hmm. part of what pushes him there. I suppose you could have just some phenomenal Heisman Trophy winning season where the rest of the team wasn't that good, and that would put you in contention. But I, I think I think the Heisman – I think the national championship is um, Trump card. crucial to him being in this conversation.
2: I, I'm trying to – I'm trying to um, discuss this. I don't know if I can say this in a way that it doesn't come out sounding like weird and inappropriate. But, um, you know, he, the reason he didn't play anymore after one year was of his own doing. Right. In a lot of wh- and right. That, that he chose to make a personal choice. And some of it was his own doing. Some of it was he did some things at Ohio State. So we know what the deal is. You know this. I mean, if he had had, um, if something would have happened that would he would have wanted to play, and he had been prevented from playing, right? Let's say, whatever. He got abducted by aliens. He got abducted by aliens, and it's like Maurice Claret comes out on the field for the first game of his sophomore year, carries the ball, gets to the end zone, and a beam comes down, and he gets abducted by aliens and people are like holy moly he got abducted by aliens and that was it we never got to see it i think people will be like him for sure right that if it's mm-hmm. sometimes if it's as much as and i don't want to make him out to be only a victim like he made choices in his life you know under difficult circumstances but he did he did some really bad stuff in his life we all know that and he's responsible for his own actions, but it was also the situation around him was very difficult. And if he was playing right now, it would be different, right? Not that he could go to the NFL, but he'd be able to make some name, image, and likeness. Steven, I think if he'd been abducted by aliens, he'd be on the list because people would be like, it was taken away from him, Yeah, right? And the greatness, man, I'm, I'm willing to say, man, he ran for 1,200 yards as a freshman and helped lead his team to the national title. I'm going to guess he would have replicated that to some degree, as a sophomore and junior. So I'm going to give him credit for that and I'm going to vote him in. And he wasn't abducted by aliens, but he, he was a little bit right. The circumstances abducted him Mm -hmm. to some degree. And again, of course he, he's responsible for a great chunk of it. But I think if you think of it that way, it leads you more and more to putting him on
0: because he's a, it's, it's easier to do that when someone's a vic- complete victim in their own yes. story. We do. I mean, Derrick Rose has been the poster child of that for the NBA. When you're the villain and victim, if you're any part of you is the vi- villain, uh, it doesn't matter how much of you is a victim. It, it blurs the lines to add some gray areas into this because there's always going to leave the window open of you didn't play anymore because you didn't want to. You could have come back and play. And it's not that simple. Which is a pro- when things aren't as simple as you're just a villain or you're just a victim. It's hard.
2: That's a really good way to put it. Villain and victim. Um, I should have asked
0: him that when I sat with him for two and a half hours.
2: Yeah, we should have had him on. To this. We should have had him on right no, now. No, and no, 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 no no, if- no, no, no. We,
0: we, uh, we, we, we don't want the explicit tag on our podcast.
2: That's true. That's true.
0: He is a he is a sailor. If he if by all means, love you, Maurice, but.
2: Yeah, I don't want to go. Yeah, whoever's editing it to go through and have to. Yeah, but I'm I'm sure he would have an interesting perspective on this. Again, that that, that uh, so this this is this is why this is his his inclusion in this discussion is what makes it so super interesting. So Nathan or Stephen, it is your choice, Maurice Claret. Yep. And just as a quick comparison, again, uh, Maurice Claret, his one year. 222 carries, 1,237 yards, 5.6-yard average, 16 touchdowns rushing, had another two touchdowns receiving. Just as a point of comparison, J.K. Dobbins as a freshman, 194 carries, so what, 28 fewer carries than Corette, 1,403 rushing yards, 7.2-yard average, seven touchdowns. So pretty comparable electric freshman seasons. J.K. never got a national title. J.K. came back, as we know, didn't have a great sophomore year, had an unbelievable junior year. And again, again, when you think about that, Maurice, because of his circumstances and how he went about it, ended up not having any NFL career to speak of. While J.K. Dobbins, I know Daniel Jeremiah, who's, I think, one of the best analysts around. Uh, for the NFL network and is like touring NFL camps right now was like, I was at Baltimore camp. Here's my five thoughts. Number one, like buy all the J.K. Dobbins stock. J.K. Dobbins is going to be the number one back for the Ravens this year as a second year guy in the Lamar Jackson rushing attack. And I think he's going to go off. So like, we don't have the full, as although, although J.K. Dobbins' college career is over, we don't have the full J.K. Dobbins experience that does influence stuff like this. And if J.K. Dobbins has a hall of fame NFL career, 10 years from now, that will affect the Mount Rushmore, Mount Buckmore discussion for this. So we're doing it right now, though. Nathan, Keith Byers, Maurice Claret, J.K. Dobbins, Beanie Wells, who's your guy?
1: When I did my list, I picked J.K. Dobbins. Um, And part of it is because when you're talking about who you're going to put out there to represent your Program, I think some of that off the field stuff probably has to come into play a little bit. Um, and we don't have that from JK. And I think he's also a player who is, but the problem is he's underrated, I think. And that almost, if you're someone who can be described as underrated, probably means you can't be on Mount Buckmore in I mean, some I wrote, ways.
0: I wrote it in 2019. JK, Do- from an individual statistic standpoint, JK Dobbins had the career Maurice Corrett was supposed to have.
2: That's, right. just, you yeah. know. No, I think that's fair. And then how do you balance like a guy who did it versus a guy who should have done it, but the guy yeah. who, who's a should have has a you national title. title and the guy yeah. who's a did it doesn't have a national title, but like, is the reason that JK Dobbins doesn't have a national title? Is that JK Dobbins? Like, it's not, not, not his fault. Like JK Dobbins balled out. JK Dobbins is a warrior, JK, oh, what what's your what's your what's your pinch in your face for?
0: There is a percentage of why they are not national champions that is on him, or at least didn't get to the game that is on him. Yeah, a lot happened, but he also dropped some passes.
2: Oh, that's so not he's that's also not a, a bad villain argument. and a victim,
0: but he also he got hurt in the second half, and so he wasn't the same JK. So also, villain and victim in his own story, just more on the field than off the field.
2: He yeah, was a warrior. Yeah. He was a warrior to fight through that, but he did drop yeah. two passes that really mattered. He, and he dropped them in the first quarter, so he hadn't gotten yep. hurt yet when he dropped those passes. He,
1: he dropped one pass. He had one other tough catch that he didn't make, is how yeah. I would prefer That's to but it. That's fair. point is, he
0: cost Ohio State two touchdowns? That, that they had this, now they had the kick field goals, and so instead of maybe being up three or four touchdowns, It allowed Clemson Uh, to come back and win the game.
2: I mean, this is a tiebreaker of greatness. So when you are having a tiebreaker of greatness, you have to start bringing in the negatives to try to figure it out. You know, is J.K. Dobbins a great Buckeye? Yes. Is he the second all-time leading rusher in Ohio State history behind Archie Griffin? Yes, he is. Mm -hmm. When you discuss J.K. Dobbins, is the first thing that you think about that he dropped a pass and had another one he could have caught in the Clemson game? No, it's not the first thing, but it's, not entirely forgotten. It's in the mix, too. So that's a very good point. That's a very good point on the J.K. Dobbins point when we're splicing, right? Can we just split the head
0: and just make one half of it Maurice and the other half of it J.K. and call it a day?
1: It's it's and I as soon as you know, when when Steven started talking about Claret and I still have reasons why I think I wouldn't vote for Claret because of the off field stuff. And I think that that would be a difficult thing to, again, put out there as like the representation of your program it's just it's hard because with Dobbins he doesn't have that presence like he was a really good player a a great player especially that last year I mean that was a phenomenal year like rushing for over 2,000 yards although we got more games to do that than most Ohio State running backs had to do that in a single season and uh, it it was clearly a fantastic player that year he could have run for more yards like if they if they hadn't won all those games by so much he probably would have run for 2,500 yards you know what I mean it would be that also is one of those well I don't know if that's that's not the same what if as it is with Claret but I factor that in a little bit
0: is it fair to say that with JK you don't realize how good he is until you go look at the numbers while with Maurice Claret you can just see it with the eye test
2: I think that's fair. There were a lot of conversations while J.K. Dobbins was here about who's better, J.K. Dobbins or Mike Weber. Yeah. And as, as many times as I had been wrong on things, I was right on that. I was like, what are you talking about? And there are people on the beat who were like, I'd take Mike Weber. I was like, are you insane? It's J.K. Dobbins and it's not close, which is bearing out in the NFL. No offense to Mike Weber. Mike Weber's good. J.K. Dobbins was great. J.K. Dobbins got stuff on his own. That, I, that's, that's the de- defining thing to me. Do you get it on your own or do you just hit big holes when they're there? And, and not that anybody can run through a big hole, but it's easier. I thought JK was slippery. I thought JK was tough. Right. I mean, he's like, he's like turbocharged Brian Williams, right. He's like kind of a bowling ball, but like yeah. he's, he's also, I think he's more skilled than that. And he's going to go be to, to the idea of presence. Nathan, he has a, he has a chance to add to presence because if he right. goes and is one of the best running backs in the NFL, He might be a top five NFL running back for the next six years. Right. Mm -hmm. And then that would add to the presence argument, which right at the moment, again, telling the story, look at the face, tell the story. The Maurice Claret story is better right now. Mm -hmm. The J.K. Dobbins is his story is a little more statistical. It's a little more consistent. Matter of fact, Wow. wow. He's that's the second all time leading rusher. I think the yeah. first thing you would say is he's second all time in rushing yards behind only a two time Heisman. We're like, wow, that's really good. And then, I mean, again, that's not to say he didn't make big plays. He did. But Nathan, are you you said when you did it, you you picked J.K. Are, are you being swayed at all as we talk about it? And I'm not trying to set you up because I will say I picked J.K., And I am perhaps being swayed as we talk about
1: it. I am because again, I think there's something with Claret that for all of his faults and all of the, 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 how much of it was, was sort of self-inflicted there is still just, and it's one of those things where, so because he had some of these, these self-inflicted issues that then, led to his career ending after only one year there's l- less criticism of him because you know with Dobbins he had that fantastic freshman season you're talking about and then came back as a sophomore and was just kind of eh, mm-hmm. like right. wasn't wasn't that great by his own admission you know got in his own head a little bit um, did not play well and then came back and had the, the phenomenal junior season but then that also didn't result in a national championship now you can get into a whole discussion about like well but the you know uh, the you know if if it had been Ohio State, if if the playoff had been structured differently, and Ohio State only had to win one game as opposed to having to win two, like there's all sorts of things you could do about that when you start comparing across even people who are as, as close in time as Brees Claret and J.K. Dobbins. But I, I it, what I think the production is there. I think the production is legitimate. I think the production even when you compare them head to head it would probably surprise some people because they remember how great Claret was because it ended with the national championship and Dobbins maybe folds into a different conversation about Ohio state just always having really good players on teams that win championships and win teams that don't, especially at the running back position. But he doesn't have that like same juice, like that same story, that same, just, it doesn't pop the same way in your mind yet, but I think you're right. That he, he also is the one that the story is still unwritten. All these other guys that we're talking about, uh, except for Elliot, who's still playing. But again, he's secure. So he's the one guy who can still enhance his argument the most.
2: Okay. So if we're talking about guys who had something taken away from them that limited their stats, but maybe adds to the story. I know there are people who are screaming at the podcast right now that we have not talked about this guy yet. And you have to talk about this guy. And he has an argument in a discussion like this that is similar to Claret's for an, a completely different reason. And that is Keith Byers. Mm-hmm. Keith Byers, as a junior in 1984, was going to win the Heisman. He was going to win the Heisman. And, and I, sometimes when I do this, I, I, here's the thing. A lot of you in our audience know more about Ohio State history than we do because you're maybe you're older than us or you've grown up in it more or you just love the Buckeyes. It's your number one thing. You watch Keith Byers with your own eyeballs. And so I don't mean to like lecture. I don't want to mansplain Keith Byers to people who are like, yeah, I know. But also it was in the 80s, and I don't know if everybody knows everything. Everybody listen to this. So the quickie thing, he's going to win the Heisman in 1984, and then Doug Flutie throws the pass to beat Miami, and the world goes gaga. And Keith Byers does not win the Heisman. And if Keith Byers had won the Heisman, you know, he would have a Heisman. That vote, it, it ends up not being that close. Doug Flutie gets 2,240 points, wins the 1984 Heisman, Boston College quarterback. Keith Byers, as a junior running back at Ohio State, 1,251 points. Third place is 443. So there's not even anybody – I mean, it's not even close. It's down to Flutie and Byers. But in the end, Flutie gets 678 first-place votes. Byers gets 87. But it's like – it's one of those things we talk about again. It's like a thing can be close, but then everybody leans the same way. And I think most of the voters – Going into that last weekend would have voted for Byers, and then everybody swung to Flutie because he had maybe the ultimate Heisman moment. And I do remember watching that past Gerard or Gerald Phelan in the end zone. So we get it, running down the field. Everybody loves it. But Flutie's a senior, and Byers is a junior. Byers comes back for his senior year. And he's the overwhelming Heisman favorite preseason. What you're talking about, Stephen, like, Hey, I mean, again, it's not quite as old, but it, again, this is interesting, how it works out. Archie to Eddie is a 20 year gap. Eddie to Zeke is a 21 year gap. Like it's like every, right. It's a perfect thing, but buyers is right in between Archie and Eddie. He's like at the exact, he's the 10, he's the 10 year breaking point. He's 10 years behind Archie 10 years ahead of Eddie. And mm-hmm. he's, he's like on the same level. But his junior year Heisman gets taken away from him, and he breaks his foot yep. as a senior in 1985 when he is the Heisman favorite and basically has that whole year taken away from him. His senior year, he runs 55 times for 213 yards. His sophomore year, 222 carries, 1199 yards, 5.4 average, 20 rushing touchdowns. This is his junior year when he didn't win the Heisman 336 carries 1,764 rushing yards, 5.3 average, 22 rushing touchdowns. He also has 479 receiving yards. He has 2,200 yards from scrimmage and 24 total touchdowns, and he didn't win. Cause a little white quarterback from Boston college made a big play. And that was on TV. I mean, honestly, for real, let's just be real. So like, I, th- if he had a Heisman, Steven, would Keith Byers like definitely be on this list? And there's two things I want to talk about, but let's talk about the Heisman part of it first. Do you think if he had the Heisman, like he would definitely be on, because it's like, if you have a Heisman, you have a Heisman.
0: First and foremost, 378 touches in 12 games is crazy. That's Crazy. a lot. That's, that's a lot of touches in a college football season. That, I'm sorry. That's ridiculous. We keep having this discussion of what would it take for a Heisman trophy winner to be left off of a list like this? I think this is the example of it. And it's because they went nine and three every year. That's true. And you're comparing him to, first of all, you're, you're fighting for one spot as we've already discussed and you're now you're comparing it to a Maurice correct who won a national title and we discussed that or you're comparing it to a guy who broke the record for most yards in a single season and might be the best ohio state team most complete ohio state team in 20 years so it's it's hard because it's this, his individual ability was great but they weren't winning enough and so you're he's easily forgotten and when you play a position that's has this much of a history, if you're going nine and three every year, it's easy to leave that guy off the list, even if he does have a Heisman.
1: It's 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 kind of what defines the Heisman in a way uh, over time. Maybe not in every single mm-hmm. year, but over time, it's you know Flutie endures and Keith Byers's strong production that year doesn't. The same way, like okay, so you rattled off you know whatever he had that year. To, uh, 2,400 yards and 23 touchdowns in 2019, J.K. Dobbins averaged 6.7 yards a carry between rushing, and receiving 2,250 total yards and 23 touchdowns. It was really good production, but he was like sixth in the Heisman voting behind like two of his teammates. It's, 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 it's where just production just kind of gets, there's a lot of good, there's a lot of productive players in, in college football, but who like stands out. And in this case, neither one of the guys quite got there. The other thing about Byers, too, yes, something was taken away from him in terms of injury and just that that last season being kind of a a waste. But it is football. And that's why you lean towards the guys who sometimes through no fault of their own um, or through not even necessarily like special ability. But it says something that the guys who get through it and the guys who don't.
2: So, but then, so, so the Heisman discussion is one, but then the second discussion is having a season taken away from you, right? That, that Keith Byers is ninth all time in Ohio State rushing yards and he is seventh among running backs because Braxton is seventh in rushing yards and JT is eighth. So, all time Ohio State rushing yards for running back is Archie one, JK two, Zeke three, Eddie four, Tim Spencer five, Beanie Wells six, and then Keith Byers. And he did that without his senior season because he broke his foot. So, you know, if he had his senior season, he'd be second. He'd be second behind Archie. But what, what is less on a player? Like what is less held against you? Like Maurice Claret, who we said, well, what if he's, he was abducted by aliens? Well, he wasn't abducted by aliens. He didn't play because of circumstance, some of his own doing. And Keith Byers, who was out there busting his butt, broke his foot. So, like, we gave Maurice Claret a lot of benefit of the doubt if we're putting him on this mountain. And, again, the national championship thing stands on its own. But in terms of, like, overall production, he's a one-season wonder. Keith Byers had two really good years, one extremely good year where he finished second in the Heisman, and then his last year was taken away. Stephen, how, how do we compare what was taken away from Claret to what was taken away from Byers?
0: Yeah, it's just not easy at all. This was, it's, it's like not that this was the most difficult discussion I was having with, within my own head. It's, you have to, I think when it's three, I'm throwing JK in this as well. When there's three very unique people who have this very unique argument for why they deserve to be on this list, you've got to start going into the extra layers of things. And what matters more? Do the stats matter more? Or do the championships matter more? Or does the, the, the longevity matter? matter more and in this situation, or does the winning matter? the mo- If winning matters the most buyers has to be third of these three guys, because the, every, he had everything else. They just wasn't winning. And that's at the end of the day, what they're trying to do. You're trying to win football games. And so if that matters the most, he's got to be third and you've got to decide between Dobbins and Claret.
1: And I actually think, I don't think the, not having the Heisman costs him, but I think having, not having that senior season really costs him. Because if you if, if this conversation were different and he were, at worst, third all-time in rushing yards, I mean, you, could probably, you would think that if he had gotten to play a full, healthy season, you could easily add another 1,200 yards to his career. Um, so he might be second on this list because he's 1,200 behind Dobbins all-time. You could easily figure out how to get him to that point. And now if he had had two great seasons back-to-back like that and was second all-time in rushing yards and – we would then be having discussion about well really okay he didn't win the Heisman but and then he actually might have if he'd gotten to play a full healthy season in 85 they might not have needed the winning in order for him to get the Heisman because in part of why people would have voted for him in 85 would have been well I was going to vote for him in 84 until the Flutie pass the one play um, even kind of a fluke thing so I, I, I it's really more the senior season that just if, if he just doesn't get hurt in preseason, he's probably on this list. You know, I'll
0: say it might not go nine and three if he plays. They went because he didn't play. They went That's nine and two. three. So there's the winning right there.
2: Maybe they go ten and two or eleven and one. And I, I, I'm gonna. It's hard because for Mount Rushmore kind of stuff, obviously as we've said, it's like the essence, the presence, how you feel about it does matter. It's not like we assign. We put winning on quarterbacks. We don't really usually put winning on running backs, right? And like mm-hmm. I can look Eddie George. 1995, they're undefeated going into the Michigan game. They're number two in the country, and they lose to number 18, Michigan. It's like maybe it's up there with the most devastating losses to Michigan in Ohio State history. Eddie George in the Michigan game, 21 carries, 105 yards, and then they lose the bowl game to Tennessee. So it's like, all right, so we're saying Eddie had a Heisman. Eddie had two great years and a Heisman, but he didn't win a national title, and the era – the era that he played in was defined by losing to Michigan. Fair. So Byers, the difference between Byers and George is Byers finished second in the Heisman, Eddie won. But both of them were defined in in an era for their teams of, like, not getting it done. Now, Eddie's teams had greater overall talent, big game losses. Byers is, again, a 9-3 Earl. We get that. I will say, you guys know who won? So Byers goes in as the favorite 1985 preseason, you know who won the Heisman in 1985? I'm not trying to trick you. It's like, I wouldn't know it off the top of my head either. It's yeah, the Bo Jackson year. Uh, <laughs> so Keith Byers, and again, read about it. You got the book. Joe Burrowed. <laughs> I mean, so, so the deal is Keith, Keith Byers was an excellent, excellent, excellent baseball player in high school in Dayton. And he visited Arizona State when he was doing his uh, I'm giving you some inside stuff on the book. He visited Arizona state as part of his uh, recruiting stuff. And one of the other outfielders that they were recruiting at that time was uh, Barry bonds. And so he, he decided he really liked Arizona state, but like he didn't go there, but he wanted to play both sports in college. And as he tells it, he thought he was going to play both sports in college. And then like he went to go out for baseball spring of his, after his freshman year and the football coaches were like, well, you can go to baseball tryouts, but when you come back, you're going to be last on the running back death chart. He was like, what the? I thought I could do both. They're like, well, you can. You'll just be last on the running back death chart. When you come back to football practice, they're like, well, I guess I'm not playing baseball anymore. So it's like a familiar story. Keith Byers was an extreme athlete. Like what Bo Jackson was, again, Bo Jackson is – it's like Jim Thorpe. He's like one of the great, Deion Sanders, right? One of the great multi-sport athletes in American history. You can't just say he would have been Bo Jackson, but he's in range, right? It's a kind of an opportunity. And I feel a little bad for Keith Byers that I, like, he didn't get to do that. And so he concentrated on football. He was awesome. And then he had his senior year taken away. And then by the way, NFL stuff, he was awesome in the NFL. Awesome. Also affected by injury. So Nathan, the thing that's hard is, You said a football injury is more normal, right? That staying healthy is part of being an athlete. There's mostly it's luck. It's not like Keith Byers didn't work hard enough to avoid a broken foot, right? He's just like an extreme. He's a large, fast, physical athlete. And sometimes when you're like that, I don't know, it's hard on your feet. But is it like the Claret thing is weirder, but was also more under Maurice's control, right, than an injury that you can't control, so it is hard when you talk about losing stuff. Do you give an athlete more or less credit for losing something for an injury or losing something for an off-field thing that was maybe in their control but also was affected by other things?
1: Boy, it's <laughs> – I wouldn't quite use the word luck when it comes to injuries because I think there is something to be – I mean, it is, it is uh, in terms of a one-time injury a lot of times. There are guys who are just born – Sturdier than other people. Uh, but at the same time, what what makes the Claret thing difficult is how different that whole thing might have unfolded today. Yeah. Because yeah. as much as it was self inflicted, I've used that term multiple times now. Yeah. It, it would be a different scenario if it were playing out today. And I think it would, that would be, it would play out differently today re- without the NIL stuff. I think that we have just sort of, progressed to a point i think ohio state is probably a little bit more savvy about how to deal with um scenarios like that than they would have been then i think that i think it probably the whole thing just probably unfolds better for everyone involved
0: i asked him that because that's the same year the chase stuff was happening that i talked to him and he agreed with that it's time the time that he did it and when Chase did it we were all basically on Chase's side nobody was on Maurice Carrad's side when he was going through something similar even if it was a more extreme approach that he was taking so that plays a role in it too we probably he's probably not a villain at all if this is 2015 when
2: Maurice has decided to do all this Beanie Wells kind of fourth in this group, I think. Beanie Wells, an incredible Buckeye, again, also like affected by injury, but still played his last year at Ohio State. Didn't play in the USC game, which certainly hurt Ohio State in that game. 576 rushing yards as a freshman in 2006 as the backup and complement to Antonio Pittman, takes over in 2007. 274 carries, 1,609 yards, 5.9-yard average, 15 touchdowns. 2008, 10 games, 207 carries, 1,197 yards, 5.8 yards, eight touchdowns. Nathan, just not quite in the conversation as much as the other three guys. Is that fair?
1: Yeah, this is going to be an unfair thing to say, but I, 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 for someone who grew up in the Big Ten footprint and followed Big Ten football and, and Ohio State football, at least tangentially for pretty much their whole life, he just kind of folds into what I was saying before about how like, Ohio State kind of always has good players. They typically have productive running backs, and he is, like, at the top of that list of the where the cutoff is to me. Like, it's almost like, I mean, it. we're talking about other people who did everything that he did
2: and then more. He's a little more at the top of the – Dan Heron, Antonio Pittman, Carlos Hyde list than he is at the bottom of the yeah. Keith Byers, Maurice Claret, J.K. Dobbins list. Is that fair?
1: Yeah, that, I think that's exactly how I look at it. There was even someone else that you mentioned, and I'm trying to remember, or like Carlos Hyde. like is, is, is it more like in that conversation than it is with the guys that we're talking about?
0: Benny Wells might be the best recruiting tool I have. It's like He was awesome, and he's nowhere near the best running back we've ever had here.
2: Sixth all-time in rushing yards, right? I mean, that's that's pretty good. But, years. but just a shade, like an excellent freshman, right? Could have been the number one back as a freshman if Antonio Pittman wasn't yeah. there. Would have been ready for that. like. And I think if you – in talking about these sports, if it, sports specifically, if you had a pickup football game and Keith Byers, as an Ohio State player, Beanie Wells, J.K. Dobbins, and Maurice Claret were lined up and you had first pick, you'd be picking between Byers and Beanie one would be the first pick one would be the second pick and then you'd be like i don't know these two guys they seem good but like beanie looked good in the uniform man like speed and power just like byers speed and power in a really special way <laughs> so i think it's an acknowledgement i feel good about including beanie in the vote but i to me he's clearly fourth and for the texters he was he was clearly fourth as well when we narrowed it down to the last spot beanie wells got 2.9% of the vote I will tell you these were the percentages for the other three guys for the last spot. One got 51.5%, so majority victory, so it's clear. One got 23.2%, and one got 22.5%. So basically it came down to half the people picked one guy and the other half of the people split between these other two guys. Nathan, who do you think the Texters picked for the last spot? I think they picked Claret. Stephen, who do you think the texters picked? Yeah, Claret. It's yeah. Maurice Claret finished 3rd. Keith Byers finished 2nd. JK Dobbins got the majority. Hmm. JK Dobbins 51%, Byers 23, Claret 22. I think maybe some people would change their mind after hearing this discussion. Not that we're so persuasive necessarily, but Stephen was on it. Stephen made a good case at the beginning. And I just think in your own head, right, the more it's not, the, it's not like we're presenting new facts, right? Stephen. I mean, everyone knows the deal, but I do think in a discussion like this, I absolutely think you can make a case for any of these three and they're all right. Like Dobbins and Claret played for better teams than buyers did Claret And buyers had things sort of taken away from them early in a way that Dobbins didn't. Byers is sort of like singular in maybe his physicality compared to the other two guys, but Dobbins is by far the most productive statistically. Mm -hmm. But in the end, only one has a title. And I think that's not a bad tiebreaker. And I do, I mean, I think you have to think about, I think if you don't consider buyers in the mix, I think you're missing out because I think, if you're thinking about Claret and a limited career, you have to think about buyers in a limited career. I think you have to do that. You have to have buyers in the mix. But I think especially, and I think in a three-way race, and here's why I think it matters. I think in a head-to-head battle between J.K. and Maurice Claret, you might go, I mean, J.K. played three years and Maurice played one. They were both awesome as freshmen. And J.K. has like, is the second all-time leading rusher. What are you talking about? Like It's it's not even, it's just statistical, it's accumulation, it's three to one. That's it. That's my vote. And if you add buyers into your own personal discussion in your head, it complicates the entire discussion. Because now you have two guys who who were absolutely great, who have complicating factors. And now you just get deeper Mm -hmm. into the discussion. And the deeper you get, the more you might come around on, I'll take the one-year guy, with a title. And that's where you wound up, Steven.
0: Yeah. And with running back, maybe anywhere, well, we might get into this with receivers too. It's numbers don't lie, but they also rarely ever tell the whole story of things when you just look at raw numbers of stuff. And so it's, it's, it's I know we don't put winning as an, as an onus as much on a running backs as we do quarterbacks, but I, we, it has to matter at Ohio state where their national championships are consistently tied to their running back play more than their quarterback play, as we've shown. Yeah. So that that's the only reason it should be this much of a trump card. And it's a, annoying because if you take away that national title, Maurice Claret's probably not even in this discussion. He probably doesn't even make it on
2: to the poll when you put it out. Right. But I don't think we have to apologize for this, right? Like, I mean, you can yeah. what if you're – I like what ifs. I love what ifs. But you can also what if yourself into oblivion. And at some yeah. point, you got to go by what is. So, Stephen, you are sticking with Claret. That was your mm-hmm. initial vote, and that's your vote right now. Yeah. Nathan, you and I need to make our final vote. Um, I always put the pressure on you guys. I'll go, I am going to switch to Claret. I'm going to switch to Claret for the story. And because it's complicated, and if you could split the last face three ways, I don't want to split it two. Because I don't want to split it between JK and Maurice. Because if we're splitting it, I, you've got to include buyers to me. And I think I think their three cases are very different, but almost equal but I will allow the national title to be the tiebreaker without the thing. And again, there are negatives. Listen, listen, like Maurice Claret had on a, man, maybe I'm changing my mind. Maurice Claret had on a bulletproof vest and had a gun in his car and was going, driving around, looking for people who were involved in his court case. And that's really bad. And Maurice Claret went to prison. And that's really bad. Now he has come out of prison and he has turned his life around, but I might be changing my mind. You don't get to like, you don't get to just ignore that. Right. right. In a thing like this, it's not, it's not a, it's not that you can't redeem yourself. And I, I and again, Stephen, you talked to him for two hours. Uh, Maurice Claret, I don't think would argue the fact that he needed to redeem himself. Right. He knows that. No, and he's it, doing it. It's it.
0: all part of the story.
2: And yes. you have to it, it's,
0: it's you have to acknowledge all of it with a person when you're telling stories. You can't just go, oh, he was a great football player. It's like, yeah, well, he also had a couple of years where he was a little crazy and we weren't sure what was happening. But now he's also redeemed himself in a better man for it. But you have to tell all of these layers, which to the point of it's the better story. All of that is a part of, the, of, of Maurice Corret's story
2: as Ohio State's former running back who also helped him win a national title. Like, I'm totally fine with like the NCAA stuff, yeah. right? Like, getting past that, it's like I kind of forgot that he went to prison for the very legitimate stuff, reasons. Yeah, the NCAA
1: stuff almost. I I can almost with the NCAA stuff, I can almost talk myself into why that's why he belongs on there more. Because mm-hmm. now he stands up as like yes. this cautionary tale and a, a sort of um, inflection point for the reforms that we now have. Mm-hmm. Like if without Maurice Claret is one of the people that drove us towards this thing. We've talked about this before, about sometimes you look back at a change and you can look back 30 years and say, oh, well, at the time, that didn't seem like what got us to NIL. But that was definitely something that got us towards NIL. It got us to where we started thinking about um, these uh, people, um, th- these athletes in a different way. So that stuff can I can almost let it enhance why he should be on the on there. But the other stuff, I think I don't know. It's I'm not an Ohio State person. It's not I'm not. It's not like it's not like this actually is Ohio State erecting a thing that represents. The athletic department represents the university, which is why he if it was if that was the case, there's no way you could put him on there. I don't think you can't put someone with with the criminals. So uh, I almost would maybe revise my statement from before. I think I would still put Dobbins on here, but maybe Dobbins isn't the only one who can still improve their standing. I mean, he's Maurice Claret has kind of a second chance to change what his legacy is a little bit. And the farther he gets away from that and the more positive things he does, then maybe over time you do this vote again, 15 years down the line
2: and his argument I mean, I, changes. I think he's already done that. I mean, I don't know what more he's going to do. It's only the passage of time that would possibly help him at this point. I don't love, I don't, I'm, I mean, we're talking about someone's legacy. So it's like, it's one of these things. It's like, you know, when people talk about what's the first line of your obit kind of stuff. Like, I think it's fair to talk about stuff when you're talking about legacy. I'm not, it's not like disqualifying because he has redeemed himself and he's not that same person. But I also don't think it's like a bonus, right? That it's like, sometimes I feel like we give, some people are more apt. It's like, oh, what a great, what a great comeback story. And it's like, well, like Keith Byers never went to prison. Is he dinged because he didn't have as much to come back from? So like, I'm always on alert for that because as I always say, like, I will, absolutely, that's a great story. I will also take the person who never made a terrible mistake like that to begin with. Let's give them credit too for also overcoming difficult circumstances and not ever going down that road. So all the credit in the world to Maurice Claret but it is part of his legacy that you can't ignore. And J.K. Dobbins came out of Texas. His dad died when he was young. He comes up here to Ohio State. Tony Alford and he developed this great relationship. He has a great freshman year. He struggles as a sophomore. He doesn't let it get, out, get himself off track. He fights his butt off. He has an unbelievable junior year. And that is an incredible legacy. And now it looks like he's going to be a great NFL running back. So, that's a guy that like you would want representing a university. And I think Nathan, you make a very good point. This is not the, this is a private enterprise. We are We on behalf of Ohio state fans are hiring someone to make this mountain. Mm-hmm. This is not an official, this is not on campus. This is us doing this. So I do think that's an important distinction here, Nathan. So what's your final vote then? Cause Wait, I might are be, you, yeah, are you sticking? Okay. Okay. I'm, I might be revising my revision.
1: I, I think I'm sticking with J.K. I'm sticking with J.K. And I think you actually just brought up a good point that we in all of the talk about, you know, for instance, Eddie George's compelling background story. We forgot J.K. Dobbins's. Um, I think it's a very compelling background story and I think um, kind of adds to his legacy. So I'm going to stick with J.K.
2: And J.K. is great. Like, again, like, J, it's not like JK is a tryhard, you know? Like, JK is, like, an extremely yep. skilled – he should have been a first-round pick. He was a second-round pick. Should have been a first-round pick. You know, like, he's he's an extremely skilled football player. Man, this is tough. Like, there's almost a part of me that that if you want to lean to, like, the guy who was also – was awesome but also has a could have been, then I'm going to go buyers because buyers. Byers is all plus other than the broken foot, which again, that's not even like a sore shoulder or a knee thing or a nagging. It's like he broke his freaking foot. I don't know what you're supposed to do with a broken bone in your foot. Like he's he is an extreme talent has lived a great life. Like I all like it almost leads me down that I, I, I kind
0: of want you to pick Keith Byers. Cause I think all three of these guys deserve to be represented here.
2: Yeah. All right. I'll pick Byers then I'll yeah. pick Byers. And then we'll have said that. And then we, I guess, but then we would leave the tie-breaking vote to the Texters and they go Dobbins. Yeah. Which is fine. So we have a Claret vote. We have a Dobbins vote. We have a Byers vote and then the tiebreakers, the Texters, and they go Dobbins. And I, and I don't, uh, we don't have to apologize for it. It's fake, but I mean, like it's an interesting discussion and it's about legacy. It's about legacy. And I think this is a fair way to come around on this uh, in the end. And so now the last part of the discussion, I thought this one might go short instead of it's gone long. Fuck. I talk. What would somebody have to do Nathan to get on here? Because we have three that are so established that are so established. I mean, I guess it's like, well, win a Heisman, win a national title, right? I mean, when we talk about what Travion Henderson can be, if Travion Henderson has good stats and is an important part of the team this year, is the lead back for sure in 2022 and puts up really good numbers, and in 2023 is the lead back, is awesome, is in Heisman contention, and they win the national title. And Travion Henderson maybe doesn't win a Heisman, but he wins a national title as the lead running back. And he winds up as the second leading rusher all time behind JK. Because JK's stats that led him to second were two awesome seasons and one okay season, one good season, right? If Travion does that, say he runs for, you know, 700. And and I think he might run for more than that this year. But let's say he runs for 700 this year, and then he runs for, 1,600 next year, and he runs for 2,100 in in, in 2023. J.K. went 14, 1,050, and then 2,000. And they win a national title. Does he have to win a national title to get on? Does he have to win? Does he have to be productive statistically and then either win a national title or win the Heisman? One of those two with three years of good production. Would that get him on?
1: there has to be some sort of differentiator with Dobbins because otherwise then in the future, then Dobbins and Henderson just sort of split a vote and it goes Mm -hmm. to one of the other guys. So if he can't, I think, but also I think the bar isn't really that high in some ways because we're so split on the fourth vote. So let's say, I think if he had, if he has the same career as JK Dobbins, except with a better sophomore year in the middle, he's on the list. You don't have to have the, 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 um, superlatives at the end as far as a Heisman or even a national championship, but it's also a bit of a different I mean, Dobbins was obviously in the playoff era, um, but I think we're also, we're also maybe about to transition into, and it won't get there maybe until his third year. I'm talking this myself through this in real time. Um, (laughs) I, but I think if, if, if Trevor Henderson has, if as long as he stays healthy and statistically everything stacks up, then I think the national championship or the Heisman, yeah, puts him over the top.
0: I think I really like Trayvon Henderson's chances of being on this list if things yeah. go the. And here's why: he has the freshman hype that Maurice Corrett and Beanie and Wells had because he's a five star recruit. And we're already talking about with Eddie, with Ezekiel Elliott. It was kind of after the fact. I'm like, ooh. Well, with J.K. Dobbins, it wasn't until you guys started hearing his name come up with the coaches and the players that you were like, hmm, really, he might be up to something. And they were both top 100 guys. And then Eddie George and Archie Griffin and Keith Byer just from a different era where that thing didn't work out there. Travion Henderson already has the hype. Mm -hmm. So if he comes out the bat and does the J.K. Dobbins thing, and he has that type of season and then he builds on it, and he builds on it. And then we all think at some point in the next three years, Ohio State's going to win a national title. And he does that. And whether he wins the Heisman or not, it's getting more difficult for non-quarterbacks to do that. So I might exclude him having to do that. But if he does exactly what JK Dobbins did, and I, I agree with Nathan doesn't have a drop off his sophomore year in Ohio State wins a national title. He's the fourth guy. And the so, discussion with the other three is kind of over.
2: so, so, J.K. Dobbins' his three years averaged 1,486 rushing yards per year. That's what his average ended up being. It was basically 1,400, then it was 1,000, then it was 2,000, right? Mm-hmm. So that was like – so he finished with 4,459. Zeke is third at 3,961. Archie is first at 5,589. So J.K. is, you know, basically 500 ahead of Ezekiel Elliott, and he's still 1,100 behind Archie. Let's say that Trevion Henderson ends up with 4,600 rushing yards, right? He's 100 yards ahead of J.K., but he doesn't win a national title, and he doesn't win the Heisman, right? He's just like J.K. They're in the playoff mix, right? They're in the playoff mix every year. He's a Heisman. He's in the top 10 of the Heisman at least once, but he's just statistically slightly better, but no Heisman, no national title. Are we just now we're just flipping a coin, Nathan? What you're saying might just open up the door for somebody else. It's not that it's possible that Trevion Henderson could knock J.K. Dobbins off, but not take his spot. That like yes. Trevion Henderson is so good, he knocks off J.K. Dobbins and Maurice Claret gets on.
1: Yeah, I think it becomes a thing where like if if he has an identical career to to J.K. Dobbins, then this argument becomes like, well, there were two of them that basically did the same thing, that neither one of them have that national championship that separates them or the or the Keith Byers argument of like, well, there's a bigger what if from something he couldn't control like those arguments get enhanced a little bit.
2: Yeah, that's interesting. I think that I think that might be right. He will contextualize J.K. a little bit because if it becomes a thing, it's like, oh, no, just like every Ohio State running back in this era, in this offense, because as much as they throw it, they still run it a lot and they throw it so well, it helps open up the run game. And their offensive line is almost always really good. So it's like it's not that anybody could do it, but many people could do it. And so it doesn't feel quite as special. And then you go back to let me tell you about a guy who had one year here and made a game-saving play to win a national title. And let me tell you about a guy who was as physically dominating as any running back in Ohio state history that had a Heisman stolen from him and then broke his foot. And those stories become even more compelling compared to quote, just being a really good running back on a really good team.
1: Just 2000 yard rushers.
2: Oh, right. Exactly. <laughs> Run of the middle, 2000 yard rusher. So, uh, interesting. Interesting. Because I do think it's it's Stephen, you or Nate. Yeah, Steven, you make a good point about like Trevion is a little more hyped than you know, Zeke and 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 JK were both like top 50 dudes. They were they were big deals coming in. But the hype's not the same. Trevion is a little bit above that. Mm-hmm. Trevion is a little bit above that. But also, you know, if he comes out and is on as is and is actually like Ohio State's third leading rusher this year behind Mayan Williams and Master Teague, is going to be like, oh, okay. Well then he's going to be like, he's going to be behind
0: in terms of legacy building. Pros and cons. So it's you're propped up already. So all you got to do is do that thing. But if you don't do that thing, we go, "Uh, all right. And then like, he's got to catch up his sophomore year.
2: Because I mean, seriously, two guys are talking about here. Claret ran for 1200 as a freshman and won a national title and JK ran for 1400 as a freshman. So it's like, okay, when you're talking about greatness, Zeke, didn't do much as a freshman, but then set the world on fire and won a national title in years two and three. So that's the, that's the thing too. Trayvon Henderson has a path to be like J.K. Dobbins, be really good for three years basically. Or if he's not that in year one to get here, it's like, well, you got to be Zeke then. You got to carry a team to a national title and set the world on fire and then be an NFL stud. And it's like, okay, both paths are possible for him right now. It does feel like it, as Ryan Day said this week, Stephen – It feels like he's special. He's not helping it. He's not helping him at all. Ryan's not. Well, it's it's (laughs) one of those things it's all it's all a balance. Ryan Day does not say a single thing to us that he doesn't want us to know. Correct. So the reason that he's saying Trevion Henderson is special is because Trevion Henderson on the first day in reps was fourth in line. Yeah. It's all connected. Yeah. As soon as Travion Henderson it takes like the semi- starting job, yeah. Ryan Day is going to stop saying nice things about him. Which is why you can't just go by it. It's as soon as yeah. you're good, they're not interested in praising you publicly. Now they're trying to like make sure your head doesn't get too big. When you're when you're a little bit like, "Oh man, what's going on?" then they praise you publicly so that everybody The public and you are reminded about how good you are. Just keep working. That's what's out there.
0: The same thing they did with Julian Fleming all spring. Because it's like,
2: it's interesting with
0: guys where you expect them to be great. Where, yeah. while with like Zeke and, and J.K., it was it was Zeke's. Yes, he exploded at the end of the year, but the ha- the fact that he was a starter his second year was just a natural progression. And so I don't I wasn't there. You were, so I'll ask you. I don't know if anybody during Zeke's freshman year in twenty thirteen was going, man, what's going on with Zeke? Why isn't no. he top one hundred? Exactly. While no. with Travion Henderson, if he's not because he was fourth in line with the hype he had and the same thing with Julian, we are going to go, why isn't this five-star number one all world guy blowing the world up as a true freshman?
1: Right. I mean, the thing that Ryan Day said about him yesterday, along with being special was, or chance to be special was the more we, the more reps and the more we can get him reps, the more he can play, the better off he's going to be. So a day where at least the portion of practice where we're watching, whether he's first or fourth, or six, it didn't matter how many reps he was gonna get. At some point they're gonna move him up that list to get him more reps. I would love to be a
0: I would love to be a coach because I would toy with people. I would have had him fourth while the media was out there and as soon as he went away, I'd be like, All right, Travion, come on, first team. First team, we're yeah. not giving away anything. Maybe that's what they do. Maybe that's what Tony
2: Alford does. I don't know. It could be what they do. We We don't know. All right. I thought that was good. I can't help it. I like Buckmore. I'm going to say it at the end of every one. I like all the special stuff we do. We are not a daily news podcast. We have to do this stuff from time to time. And I especially like the thing that I really like the best about some of this is like recent history. It gives me an ulcer to try to put Vic Janowitz in context, but I love talking about Keith Byers compared to Maurice Corret, compared to Eddie George compared to Archie Griffin compared to Ezekiel Elliott compared to JK Dobbins. That's awesome because even though we weren't all alive for all of it and we didn't cover all of it and not all of our listeners were alive for all of it. We all have a handle on it. We have enough of a handle to have an intelligent discussion. All right. JK it is got the final vote Ty- Texture tiebreaker. Nathan, and the texters go for JK Dobbins. I had wound up on Keith Byers, Steven wound up on Maurice Claret, Eddie George, Ezekiel Elliott, Archie Griffin, sure things on our running back Mount Buckmore. Next week, receivers. You think this was hard? <laughs> <laughs> there were three sure things here. There are not three sure things in the receiver. There's That's be fun. There's there no maybe there. there's maybe one. Maybe. Maybe one, but there's maybe zero. And there's like nine could-be's. So we're going to go three hours on the receivers next week. We're keeping the voting going. If you want to be part of it, 614-350-3315. Drop some reviews at Buckeye Talk uh, on Apple Podcasts, and make sure you're reading clement.com slash Buckeye Talk. For Nathan Baird, for Stephen Means, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk.